Hey everyone, I'm Kevin Wallace from Redemption to the Nation's Church, and I'm grateful that we are going to have this opportunity to bring this message of hope, healing, and restoration to you and your family today. I want you to stay with me till the end. I'm going to come back and pray. Be blessed by the word of the Lord. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 6 this morning, and I'm just going to expedite this teaching. Um, uh, we have been in a series for a number of weeks now called Thy Kingdom Come. And uh, I pray that we're growing through it and from it. Uh, I, I don't think there's a more detailed assignment on my own personal life than in this region for us to teach and to demonstrate. How many know it's important to teach and demonstrate? the kingdom of God. Some people teach the kingdom of God, but they have no demonstration of the kingdom. And then there are others who want to demonstrate the kingdom of God, but without teaching to undergird it, you have no foundation to stand on. So the Bible teaches us that Jesus preached and taught the kingdom of God, and then he demonstrated the kingdom. Last week, we talked about discovering our kingdom assignment because every one of us in this room who are kingdom citizens have the incredible opportunity of not only being born again and coming into salvation and the kingdom of God, but we have the privilege and the blessing of discerning and discovering why Jesus would save us and what he wants to do with our life. Today, I want to, talk, I want to take that thought a bit deeper, and I want to talk about partnering with God to advance the kingdom. Partnering with God. Some of you, this is a foreign concept because uh, we often approach the whole issue of God's sovereignty as if um, God doesn't use people. But I want to tell you today, although he doesn't have to, he chose to. And he wants to find people on this planet through whom he can partner, with whom he can partner to demonstrate and advance kingdom purposes in the earth. Can I just give you a news flash? If you don't know this already, hell has no problem finding partners. It's quiet in this Baptist church. I said hell has no problem finding people who were par partner with its agenda. I believe in our day God is looking for people who are not only saved and on their way to heaven, but are on a mission while they're on planet earth to advance the kingdom and the purposes of God in the earth. And I want to talk about this today. I want to go to the book of Matthew's gospel, the sixth chapter. This is the gospel that talks more about the kingdom of God than any other gospel. And it is primarily, and at first I should say, not necessarily primarily, but it was at first, um, the reason you hear so much talk about the kingdom and the reason Matthew goes into the genealogy, we believe that Matthew was written uh, first and foremost to address the Jewish people, to pull them into the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's much more to unpack in that that I won't do right now. But in Matthew's gospel, he talks about the kingdom of God more than any other gospel in the sixth chapter. Uh, we'll begin reading in the seventh verse, and I want to talk about partnering with God to advance the kingdom. And if, if I could just sort of zero in on something today, there are a number of ways that Jesus tells us we can partner with the Father in Matthew 6. He says, not if you pray, or not if you give, but when you give. Not if you fast, but when you fast. Uh -huh, because I think... Giving and fasting are ways we can partner with God to advance purposes, his purposes in the earth. But I want to talk and strategically look at today this issue of prayer. Because God will partner with those who will have a, a life of prayer. And I want us to see what Jesus says in this prayer. And we'll talk more about this prayer in a few moments. But the seventh verse 
of the sixth chapter of Matthew's gospel reads like this. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Isn't that good news? That's not a rebuke. That's an encouragement. He said, in this manner, therefore, and I'll talk about that phrase in a moment. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and forever. Amen. Father, thank you for this word. It is your word. It's the word of God. Speak to us today. I pray for adjustments to be made. I pray for corrections in course to be made. I pray for lost people to come into the kingdom and find their place at the table of the Father. I pray for those who have fallen away, backsliders who've walked away and just gotten cold in their heart on God. Today, Lord, go get those lost sheep and bring them back into the fold. I pray today, Holy Spirit, that you will speak to our hearts. We, we really need to hear from you today, Lord. Um, our world is in need of the word of the Lord. Our generation demands it, and we're asking for you to speak to us today. We've heard voices all week long. Now may we hear the voice of God speak to our hearts. And we ask it in Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. You can be seated in God's presence this morning. So I've been teaching for several weeks now in this vein of the kingdom of God. I'm not going to attempt to reiterate and rehearse all that I've talked about and all I have addressed over these probably five or six weeks we've been in this, and someone asked me this week, how long are we going to do this? And I just said, until the cup is dry. Uh, the, the kingdom is something you're going to hear preached here every single year. You're a, you're a part of this church family. In fact, I think we talk about it just about every Sunday because I think the earth is starving for a demonstration, not of religion, but of the kingdom of God. And I can't go back and rehearse all that I've talked about. Uh, last week I talked about the assignment, discovering the assignment. But there's something that, there's a point I made several weeks ago that I've, I believe is germane to what I'm teaching this morning. And I don't know if you remember the Sunday that we talked about the already not yet aspect of the kingdom of God. Already not yet. Everyone say already not yet. Some call it the already, not yet. I like to call it the now and the later. Uh, the kingdom of God is something that we are experiencing now and something that will crescendo and grow and we will experience it in a climactic way in the future. I want to make sure that I, I just reinforce this in your heart and in your hearing. I believe Jesus is coming back to this earth. It is imperative in the church that we get our eschatology right because if you don't believe he's coming back to this earth, then a lot of what we read in the word of God doesn't make sense. We are not wise enough to fix all the problems and straighten all this out without Jesus 
and his kingdom manifesting in fullness. He will come back to rule and reign on this earth a thousand years, and we who have been faithful to him will be called faithful, and he will say, you've been faithful over a few things, enter into much, and will rule and reign with the Lord. I believe he's literally coming back to this planet. It's foreign in the church now. To even talk about that is foreign. He, he is coming back. And, you know, this is not a conversation or a point to be made about pre, mid, or post-tribulation. I don't care where you are. I'm a pan, I'm a pan person. I believe it's all going to pan out. I, 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 I don't know if he's coming pre, mid, or, tr- or post. I, I've got my ideas. I've got my thoughts. I'd rather just preach to you to keep your lamp trimmed and burning keep the flame burning in your spirit don't get cold on God don't let the spirit of this age seep into your soul and get you hard and bitter and discouraged and full of heaviness come on how can you get full of heaviness if you're doing what the author of Hebrews said looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despised the shame and today Jesus is set down on the right hand of God If you keep your eyes on him, I promise you, he'll do you a whole lot better than the midnight news and the nighttime news flash. Come on. If if you're heavy and depressed this morning, you probably ought to spend less time on TV and on social media and more time in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because Jesus will give you joy. Can you say amen? I believe he's coming back. I do not believe that is an invitation for us to disconnect from the generation that we're living in because it is clear, at least to me from the word of God, that while we are here, we are on assignment. You and I cannot just simply live with no preparation, no strategic thinking, no blueprint for the future. I say it like this, someone else much smarter and far wiser than me said it, I'm sure, before. But we have to have plans for the future, but we have to have the life being lived now in case he comes today. We, we, we want to be prepared for tomorrow. We want to have strategy and dream and vision. We want to dream with God and partner with God so that his kingdom comes. Come on, we're not just, we're not just trying to live today and get out of here today. If he comes today, we're ready. But if he waits 100 years, what's the plan? And I want us to live with an understanding and an appreciation of both the now and the later of the kingdom. He's coming. At some point in the future, Jesus will return. But if he doesn't come tomorrow, what are you going to do with the resources he's given you? And I want to talk about what we're doing now to partner with God. Everybody say partner with God. So this this tension of the kingdom exists and and we hold this tension by faith that the kingdom of God is here and yet it is coming. It is already, it is not yet. It is this aspect. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. That doesn't sound like one day we'll get there. That sounds like right now the kingdom of God is within you. But we also recognize that there is coming a fulfillment, a totality, a climax of the kingdom. And I believe, and I've taught this to you for a number of years, that it's a crescendo. It's one reason why the message of the kingdom is being amplified 
The culture of the kingdom is being amplified in this moment. And as God gave us a a prophetic word several years ago, he will remove the microphone from the mouths of those who are preaching their own kingdom. And he will begin to amplify the voices of those who preach the kingdom of God. Religion has never saved one soul. And there are so many churches, and I don't ever want us to become one, and by by the help of God, we'll never become a place that is a mausoleum that talks about who he was and what he did and stand up a bunch of religious statues that have no power, eyes that that cannot see, ears that can't hear. Come on, church is one of the most idolatrous places in America today. I'm telling you right now that if we won't get on the kingdom page, he will move to some place, to some group of people who have no agenda but to make the Lamb's agenda known in the earth. And if we will, it, come on somebody, if we will get focused on the Lamb's agenda, lack will never be the problem. God will bless us with open doors and opportunities and we're going to preach his kingdom and not our politics and not our soapbox. We're going to preach the kingdom of our God. Say amen. So the kingdom is something that we experience both now in this now life and it's something that we will see crescendo into what I believe is the coming of the Lord. Both of those truths are held in tension. The kingdom is here and yet coming. And that's important for us to remember and to understand for this teaching and this assignment today about partnering with, partnering with God that Jesus is coming. He will return, but until he returns or takes us home, you can experience the kingdom of God now. You can demonstrate the kingdom of God now. You can advance the purposes of the kingdom of God now. See, we have an assignment, a responsibility to steward the kingdom and to advance the kingdom. And I think this prayer that Jesus prays that I think is so often misunderstood. I think it is a reminder of the power of partnering with God in the now. Today I want to talk about advancing the kingdom of God and its purposes in the earth through partnering with God. And let's establish something very clearly. God doesn't need my partnership to be God. I want to tell you right now, God could have saved Noah But Noah partnered with God. God could have intervened and saved the spies of Israel, but he partnered with Rahab. God could have saved Israel from Egypt, but he found a partner on the backside of a Midianite sheep field named Moses. God could have hit Goliath in the head and killed him. He could have dropped Goliath and and just dropped him in the middle of the valley without anybody's help, but he partnered with a shepherd boy. I want you to understand that the purposes of God in the earth, he doesn't have to have us, he wants to have us. He doesn't need your help, but he does invite you into the plan. And today we've got to make sure that the church is not sitting on a sideline and and just testifying of the sovereignty of God while history is made. You are history makers. You are world changers. And if we're not seeing what we believe we ought to be seeing in the earth, it's not an indication. 
situation, God's not on the throne or has lost power. It might be that the irritant in your soul is supposed to wake you up so that you and I partner with God to effect change in our generation. So God partners with you and I. Look at Ezekiel 22, verse 30. God is looking for a partner. He said, I look for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But I found none. Can you hear that in agony almost in God's heart? I look for one who would stand in the gap and build up the wall so that I would not have to destroy the land, but I didn't find one? You couldn't find one? Where are the partners of God? And you say, Pastor, that's not a big deal. He couldn't find one. He's still God. Yeah, he's still God. But do you you know what happened as a result of not finding one? According to history, Israel went into 70 years of Babylonian captivity. Because no one would partner with God. No one on earth would say, I'm available. Can I just call us today to check our calendars and make sure we're still available to God? Oh, but pastor, you don't understand. I'm so busy. There is a difference between busyness and fruitfulness. There is a difference between motion and progress. Sometimes we can run on a treadmill, burn a whole bunch of calories, and when the run is over, we've gone nowhere. That's what religion does. It keeps you moving but takes you nowhere. I'd rather get out. Come on in here, somebody. I'd rather get out in in wide open spaces and run till I can't run no more and find out where God wants to take me and my family. You are not supposed to be stuck where you were stuck two decades ago. Get moving. Get off the treadmill and go somewhere. He's just looking for someone to say, yes, I'll partner with you. And we get this whole partnership thing here in Matthew chapter 6. I see it so clearly, the partnership between Jesus and the Father. I want to ask you a theological question for your consideration. How many say and agree with me that Jesus is indeed God? Show of hands. Not a rhetorical question. How many believe Jesus is God? Okay. If Jesus is God, why did Jesus have to pray? I mean, if he's God, why does he have to pray? Well, I want to first of all suggest to you as we talked several Wednesday nights ago, we believe in the triune Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God is not schizophrenic. He's not three different gods. He is a God who is manifest individually in three personalities who walk in and exist in such unity they can only be seen as one. And while Jesus was on earth, he was not on his own mission. He was submitted to the will of the Father. I want to pose something for your consideration, Sister Ye Ye. <laughs> Relationship with God is no invitation 
to haughtily and arrogantly prance through life without consulting Abba and submitting your will to his, surrendering your agenda to his, and making sure that you're walking step in step with the Spirit of God. Jesus prayed, number one, let me be very rabbinic here. Let me answer the question with a question. Why did Jesus pray? Let me ask you this. How else would he experience intimacy with the Father? Oh, if I don't pray, pastor's going to preach. Oh, he's going to preach on me next Sunday. What a horrible reason to have a prayer life. First of all, I don't even care what you did this week, right? I mean, I'm, I, if you didn't pray, that's between you and God. I'm not going to get in your business, but I would tell you this. If you didn't pray, you didn't just miss a long list of do's and don'ts. You missed an opportunity to get close to the heart of God. Prayer is about nearness to God. How else would Jesus become intimate with the Father if there wasn't this mechanism called prayer? If Jesus didn't pray, how else would he get the download of the Father's will in the situations he was faced with? There's never a time recorded when Jesus didn't know what to do. But I do not assume that he simply knew what he was supposed to do because he was God. Because Philippians 2 said that he laid down every bit of his title and privilege. He, he laid it all on the side. And in other words, he was in touch with humanity, our humanity. He clothed himself in the same flesh that you and I did. That's why Paul said, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of a man. He didn't always know what to do because he walked in the privilege of being God, although he was God. He knew what to do because he spent time submitting his will on earth to the Father which was in heaven. And the Father in heaven had a relationship with the Son and made his will known to the Son. And instead of reading that text and saying, I ought to be a son or a daughter who spends time in the presence, number one, drawing near to God, and number two, getting this download from God, we look at it and say, Jesus did it all for us. No, he's showing us the paradigm by which we enter into intimacy so that revelation can flow from the Father to his children. If you don't pray, by what means will God reveal his will to your life? Well, you know, Brother Wallace, I'm so glad I go to this church. We have a tremendous group of intercessors. Intercessors. Six precious widows who have no life and all they do is pray for the church. And we're thankful for, I'm thankful. You don't know how thankful I am for the widows in this church that pray for their pastor and pray for their church. And I'm grateful. But if you think those sweet sisters are called to carry the intercessory load of a church that's supposed to touch the nations, you have missed your understanding of, and responsibility in the kingdom of God. This isn't something one person bears. Fellowship with God is not a requirement. It is the invitation of all those who are in the kingdom. Why wouldn't we want to know the heart of the Father? And then if Jesus doesn't pray, how else would he partner with God? Just, just think about 
how hard it would be for you to have relationship with your spouse or your friends and never talk to them. And my point of it is this today. If we're going to partner with God, we have to value communicating with him. I taught this, uh, I don't remember when I taught this, Acts chapter 15, I've, I've told you this maybe in the, even in this series, but in Acts 15, you, you, and I told this on a Sunday night service uh, recently, in Acts chapter 15, they have the Jerusalem council and everybody's getting saved and all the Gentiles are coming into the kingdom and all the religious people are having a nervous breakdown. How are they getting saved? How are they coming in? How did they become a member of the church? They didn't get it the way I got it. Doesn't that sound like a lot of people today? They didn't get it the way I got it. They didn't get baptized in Jesus' name. They didn't get baptized in the Trinitarian formula. They don't understand the substitutionary atonement. They don't Sometimes God will just save people that you don't like to frustrate your religion. I mean, he'll just tick off the most religious Pharisees by saving the rankest sinner who is hooked on the most drugs, wrapped around a strip pole on one Friday and in Sunday school class the next Sunday, and he'll say to your religious self, take that to the bank. Because grace is not something that you and I could ever com completely wrap our brain around. I, I could never understand it. I don't have an explanation for how some people like myself who are in this building today, a citizen of the kingdom of God, are here because of what I did in my past. But if you don't understand it, you don't have the privilege of rejecting it. You need to get rid of religion and begin to celebrate a God who throws a party, not over the 99, but the one who comes back home. So I'm sorry, that was all not in my notes. So Acts 15, they're all having this big talk. How is this happening? All these Gentiles are getting saved. And the Jewish people said they can't get saved unless they get circumcised. So they have the Jerusalem council and they all meet. Here's what the Bible says. Elders and apostles, read the text. Acts 15, elders and apostles came together to dispute the matter. Say elders. Say apostles. Okay, so they're talking about what's happening and they're saying, half of them are saying this can't be real because they didn't get it like we got it. And when it came time for an answer to be given to the body on what was happening, it's interesting to me that the people who speak up and give an explanation of what's happening are not elders. Why? Elders comes from the Greek word presbyteros. It means the aged one, the experienced one. The problem is if all you have is experience and you don't have an apostolic grace, you can try to look at what's happening that's new. And if you don't have a frame of reference in history to look back and help you uh, articulate what's happening, you can start identifying something happening now. This is why a prayer life is important because sometimes God wants to do something new. He's never done it before. And if all you do is speak from experience, you don't have the vocabulary or revelation that is needed to articulate the new thing God is doing in your day. We don't just need experience. We need apostolic grace in today's church to help us ascertain and discern the blueprint that God is giving to the people of God. In other words, we're not in Kansas anymore. Yeah. 
why is he up there sweating and hollering? Oh, my Lord. I, 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 I'm nervous. He's so loud because we haven't listened for 50 years. We've been building our religion, and we've not been advancing the kingdom. And I just think God is over it. I better calm down because I feel something about to get on me. I believe God is over the religion. He wants his kingdom to be established. He wants people to come into the kingdom. This is why the church is divided and segregated and racist and we don't love each other. We've been preaching our culture instead of preaching his kingdom. So let's just get it again. This is why we have white church and black church and Hispanic church and Bethel music and Hillsong music and Elevation music and black gospel music. I didn't even remember y'all were sitting on the front row. So nothing intended by that at all. I just want to say, why don't we sing about Jesus no matter who wrote the song? Let God arise and every enemy he has be scattered. I'm over it. I feel like I'm over it with God. Me and God are over it. So you have to have a, a relationship with God so that you don't get trapped by experience. What? I'm thankful for experience. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm thankful for all of the seasoned saints. We don't have old people here. We have seasoned saints. I'm thankful for the wisdom and the experience of every seasoned saint in this house. And we need their strength, their wisdom, and their testimony. But there are moments in the church where God wants to break in and do something he's never done. And in those moments, you have to have more than experience talking you have to have an apostolic grace that is that is helping us to see the blueprint God is creating in our day so prayer is that invitation into intimacy with God to get the download the fresh thing my friend Corey Russell says this revival is not out with the old in with the new revival is out with the old and in with the older Sometimes the thing God wants to do is a new, old thing. Sometimes it's a new thing he's never done. Sometimes it's a new thing that's an old thing. My point is this. Don't get married to methods. Stay in a place of intimacy with God where he can reveal whatever he wants to do. Because listen, you may see what's up the road, but the spirit sees around the corner. And oftentimes we are trapped by leaning on our past and what we've done and what we've accomplished and, and, our, and our experience and we miss the turn-by-turn -turn navigation system. How many have a navigation system or a phone, whatever? How many have a voice in your car telling you where to go when you go somewhere you've never been before? I changed mine recently from a woman's voice to a man's voice. I was not looking for another woman to tell me what to do. Come on, someone. I needed a fresh voice of authority. Where's Devin? Come on. 
Okay, just kidding. Okay, stay, stay in the text here, Kev. Watch. <laughs> Jesus is about to give us a revelation of how to partner with the Father. I want you to pay careful attention to what he says in the text. He does not say, when you pray, pray these words. He says, when you pray, pray in this manner. There's a difference. He's not interested in us quoting verbatim a prayer that becomes religious and monotonous. He is trying to say, don't, don't necessarily pray these words, but I invite you to pray this way. And just three quick little things right here I want you to see. Number one, he says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father. If you're going to partner with God, it's really important that you understand relationship. Amen. He could have said, our master. It would have been fitting. He is the master. He could have said, our boss. Hefe, <laughs> right? <laughs> is that right? Close? See? <laughs> sí. Tremendo, tremendo. Me habla poquito español. Okay? He could have said, boss. He could have said, master. He could have said, the president. <laughs> you say that and everybody flares up. Oh, no, not me. Because you can, you can have yours if you want to. I know who mine is. My, mine sits on a throne, was never voted in, will never be voted out, doesn't alternate every four years. He's the king of glory, so get over yourself. <laughs> Who's he talking to? All of you. Here's my point. Jesus burst on the scene teaching us partnership with the Father. And he begins to refer to the Father and to this God in a way that sages and rabbis had never approached him before. Go back to the Old Testament. David is the closest one. This is why he has a heart after God because he's He's one among so many who approach God, but approach him with this nurturing, kind love, this relationship. Most of the sages and the rabbis in Jesus' day approached God as this stoic being, and they referred to him as Yahweh, and rightfully so. When Jesus burst on the scene and began to show us what partnership with God looks like, he doesn't, he doesn't just speak abstractly about this mighty creator. He says, Abba. In fact, in this scripture, he says, Father, it is the Greek word pater. It's where we get the word paternal. It, it literally means the the progenitor of a family. It's, it's the one that starts the family. It's, it's the one who, who, who originates and transmits a DNA so that a family can be born. When, when Jesus comes to teach us how to partner with God, he's not to be approached in intimacy as some stoic being out in some far removed corner of the universe. 
Jesus didn't die so that you could look at God and be terrorized by him the rest of your life. Jesus died to appease the wrath of a heavenly father. And I want you to know that through the blood of Jesus, every bit of the wrath of God has been appeased and the judgment of God has been satisfied through the shedding of the son's blood. No amount of self-humiliation, self-degradation, inflicting wounds on yourself, trying to, trying to earn his love is an insult to the cross. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to pay most of it and you finish the job. When he hung between heaven and earth, he looked into the future and saw you and I. And he said, hey, Kev, I see your sin debt, but I got news for you. It is finished. It's paid for in full. So why do you come to God as some boss? With a wooden spoon. Because that's what I got spanked with. I got spanked with whatever they could find, but <laughs> switches, co hangers, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Some of y'all, oh my God, are you serious? Listen, little Johnny needs an attitude adjustment every now and then, okay? It's part of the problem with America. <laughs> The only timeout I had growing up was me calling for a timeout while my gluteus maximus was being informed that I had broken the rules. <laughs> I just feel a whole lot of resistance there. It's okay. <laughs> He's Abba. He loves you. And when you come to God, the first step to partnering with him is not seeing yourself as an employee or even a slave. It's understanding you're a son and a daughter. So he comes and he says, Father. He burst onto the scene introducing the kind of prayer life that they had never experienced before. Can you imagine being a rabbi who has approached the antiquity of the text and the ancientness of the Old Testament and the law, and you've heard about how high and holy and distant and mighty this Yahweh is, and suddenly there's a man who came from Galilee claiming to be the Son of God, and he burst onto the scene, and he doesn't say, Yahweh. He says, Peter, Father, holy is your name. It's an invitation. There's something else I want you to see in partnership, and this is something that we often miss on our way to immediately acknowledging the holiness of our Father. We often forget that Father implies there are more children. <laughs> well, I just lost everyone. Peter means the progenitor of a family. I want to tell you this. That when you talk about partnering with God, please recognize not only is he father and you are son and daughter, there is more family. <laughs> I'm letting it soak right now because it's offending people. In the good way. You, you need to be reminded that your relationship with God is not an isolated relationship. You don't get to experience the euphoria of being a son of Abba in some secluded island-like way. He is the father of a family. Why are you saying this? Because some people never partner with God because they never honor the rest of the family. 
the fact that they called him father, the fact that he called him father was an invitation to know there he is Jesus is not just saying it's me and you. There's going to be more. I'm the first fruit among many brethren. You don't believe me? Keep reading Matthew chapter 6. Most of what he teaches after, after he begins this Lord's Prayer is about how to live in harmony with each other. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Why? Because the cross has two beams. One is horizontal. Pardon me, one is vertical. Let's get one is vertical. Why? Because the relationship between me and God was broken. Jesus came to heal and to, and to put back together the brokenness between the Father and I. But not only was the Father and I broken, my relationship with brothers and sisters was broken. This is why some people leave church and never go back. Not because they got a problem with God, but because they have an unresolved issue with the family. You can't partner with God saying, Lord, here I am, use me. I have so many gifts and education and qualification and training, but I hate my brother and sister, and especially those that don't look like me, dress like me, smoke like me, smell like me, vote like me. You're a big ball of offense. It would take 1,000 anointed hands to fix you. Please hear me. Some of us want to partner with God because we love God. But the Father has a family. And partnering with the Father means that you walk as best you can in harmony with the family. Follow peace with all men. When, whenever you can do it, follow peace with all men. Blessed are the peacemakers, not the peacekeepers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. What's the point, Pastor? God's got a big assignment for his people in this generation. But many of us are blowing the assignment because we dishonor the rest of the family. You cannot put your mouth on people. I'm getting ready to say something, and it feels very heavy as I process it to say it, but I'm going to say it. You can't put your mouth on people and, and drive them into the ground and lie and beat people down and condemn people and then prance to an altar, give a $500 seed, and expect a grace to descend on you that causes you to be a world changer. You are illegal and out of order. And some people who are watching me online and listening to me in this room, what you have said in private is about to affect what God is doing for you in public. And if you can't, oh God, help me here, Jesus. Someone used to say in the old church, walk heavy. I'm trying. Please hear me. We need to get our heart in line with family so that we can get our partnership with the Father right. We're in partnership together. Well, I just like to give people a piece of my mind. We'd rather you not. <laughs> Are you without a phrase? No, I'm letting it sink for a minute. I'm just marinate. 
Don't, don't jeopardize your partnership with heaven because you dishonor the family. I recognize there are people sitting in this church, and, and Julian, you can help me. I'm going to just start turning the corner here to land this 747. There are people in this church today who, who've come from a myriad of backgrounds, a myriad of places, some religious, some not, some churches, some not. When you talk to this many people on a Sunday, it, it, it's impossible without the Spirit of God, Taylor, making the message to every heart. It's impossible to address everything in the room. But I do have a concern sometimes for people. They think that they can be okay with God, but not okay with his family. He's the father of a family. First and foremost, you're a son or daughter, but he wants us to also recognize we are brothers and sisters. Well, I'm a daughter and the son of God. You're a brother and a sister of the body. Make sure your heart is right in that. In fact, Jesus would say, if there's something in your heart, when you go down to the altar and you pay your tithes and you got something in your heart, don't just pay your tithes and give your offering and go back home and think, oh, I'm going to be blessed. He says, leave your offering there. Majorly important. <laughs> go fix it and then come back and offer it. Why? Because what you say when no one's listening and what you do when no one's watching is affecting your future. It's affecting God's ability to trust you in partnership with him. Why are you saying this, Pastor? Because I've watched so many precious lives full of potential short-circuit their own destinies. And it ought not be so. And the last thing I want you to see is this. The first thing he says is father. The second thing that we, I, I discern from this is this whole issue of family. And then the last thing is this, the first. And the first is the kingdom, always. He says the, 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 the first thing he talks about after he acknowledges the father and the family is the very first thing. Rewind, Matthew 5, verse 33. Seek ye first. Kingdom of God. Isn't it amazing that in Matthew 5 33, he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God? And the first thing he prays for in his model prayer, after he acknowledges the Father and he acknowledges vicariously the family, the first thing he asks for is, Thy kingdom come. The kingdom is coming and yet it's already here. You do not wait till Jesus, I do not wait till Jesus returns. To pray for the kingdom to be demonstrated. I partner with Abba now. I partner with his family now. Perhaps I should give an altar call now because ever since I talked about family, I feel conviction sitting in the room. I feel like there's some people like, oh, I got to check out. Where's the car? Can we go get the kids yet? I got to get out of here. The reason is the enemy wants you to keep burying your issue and jeopardizing your future and, and delaying your destiny. Stop it. Just, just have a talk and repent and get over it. Love one another. Why? Because the kingdom is at stake. I'm going to say this and I'm going to be done. I, I, might, I might finish this thought next week. We're going to continue in the kingdom for sure. I, I just want to say this. When Jesus says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, it is a direct rebuke. 
these pseudo-Christian leaders, oh God, who say things like, the church shouldn't legislate righteousness. Okay. I got like three helpers and everybody else is like, what's he talking about? Okay. The church shouldn't legislate. How many have ever heard someone say, the church shouldn't legislate righteousness. This is not a Christian nation. I've heard that from preachers. I'm like, shouldn't legislate righteousness, what? While witches legislate unrighteousness? I'm not talking about creating laws that make people live holy. I'm talking about creating a nation that more perfectly reflects the heart, the nature, the Judeo-Christian values of the God of the Bible. That's what we ought to be doing. seems to me that some people, even in the church, will not be happy until every freedom that empowers us to teach and preach the truth and demonstrate the kingdom has been stripped away and we're all living in some communist country that has to hide in a cave and read the Bible. If that's your version of it, you can go have it. As for me and my house, I'll lift up my voice, I'll cry aloud and spare not, I'll declare that Jesus is the only way, and I'll pray for God to raise up legislators, politicians, government officials who have the heart of the Father in the interest of the kingdom. Hey. Stand with me, I'm through. If America had the heart of God in its politics, if America had the heart of God in its government, Never would have been slavery. Never would have been Jim Crow. Y'all not helping nobody now. Never would have been abortion. Y'all not helping nobody now. See how the kingdom is? The kingdom picks all of the extremists off because the kingdom refuses to migrate to one side or the other. The kingdom has its own side. When you cry aloud for the kingdom, you don't get those polarized people. That's why I'm thankful for every one of y'all who stick around here when we preach the kingdom. Because the kingdom doesn't choose a side. The kingdom is its own side. So, I don't know how many days you have left to live. I don't know how many days I have left to live. But I don't want to waste one of them. I don't want to be trapped on a religious treadmill going nowhere. I want to spend my days partnering with Abba to see his purposes and his kingdom advanced in the earth. How many can say yes to that? Throw your hands up. I want to pray for you right now. And then I'm going to give an invitation to anyone who feels God pulling on their heart to come into the kingdom. But I want to pray for the people of God with hands lifted right now. Lord, we don't want to waste another day. We don't want to be trapped by a culture or in a culture that is polarizing and causes us to feel pulled. Lord, you're calling us to be the people of the kingdom. Uh, Lord, we, we, we have a different way of demonstrating love. We have a different way of 
of treating people. The kingdom has a different way of even treating enemies. <laughs> we, we don't bless those that bless us. We bless those that despitefully use us. We don't pray for people who pray for us. We pray for those who are enemies. So teach us your kingdom. Don't let us get trapped in American politics and call it the kingdom. Let us be people who are so enamored with the face and the heart of God and so into demonstrating his kingdom and his ways that we don't waste our time. So help us with all the days we have left. One more time, hands lifted. All the days we have left, help us, God, to love people and to demonstrate the kingdom of Jesus. Let's not be concerned. Help us not to be concerned, God, with opinions of people more than we are the, the opinion of you. Hands down. If you're in this room, you say, Pastor Kevin, I need to come into the kingdom. I need to give my heart to Jesus. I, I recognize that Probably most everyone in this room is born again. That's why you're at church. But maybe someone came to the church today whose heart is away from God and you feel a million miles away from the Lord and you're wondering if he loves you and your mind is telling you you've done too much and you've sinned too much and he could never forgive you. And I just feel like he sent me to tell somebody where sin does abound. His grace does much more abound. If you're in this room and you want to give your life to Christ, when I say three, I don't care what you've done, how long you've been doing it, how messed up you think it's made you, how hard your heart may be, if there's a place in you at all that wants to enter into the kingdom of God and say yes to Jesus, when I say three, lift that hand, one, two, three, right now. Pray for me, Pastor. I need to come in. Pray for me. Pray for me. Anyone at all, I see your hand, baby. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you over there. You can all put your hands down. Everyone look at me. I want you to look at your neighbor and just ask them one. I just believe sometimes it's, it's good to be reminded that we have family that love us here and not judges who judge us. Amen? So the people standing next to you love you. I want you to look at the person on your left and right, and whether you've known them your whole life or you've never met them before today, I want you to ask them one question. Do you need someone to go to the altar and pray with you? And if you lifted your hand, or you should have, because you need to give Christ your heart, when they ask you that question, I just want you to come out of your seat right now. Come, They'll walk down here with you. I'll, I'll wait right here. We got prayer leaders who are already praying with people who've come. But if you need Jesus to save you, come right now. God bless you for coming, young man. Come on, just ask your neighbor. Come on, ask your neighbor. Do you need someone to go pray with you? Anybody? Anybody at all? Anybody at all? We're not coming to get nobody. We love everybody in this room. I just want somebody to know he'll save anybody that'll call on his name. Oh, they're still coming. Come on, somebody help me give God a praise for salvation. I just believe if they're coming, they're coming because they want to be born again. Come on, sweetheart. Come on, sweetheart. They're still coming. Hallelujah. They're still coming. Somebody keep praising God. Stretch your hands and pray for them. Lord, thank you for touching these precious lives that are coming today. And today they've walked to this altar because they want their heart to be transformed. And I pray that grace that changes would be poured out abundantly in measure. That the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to them today. We thank you for that, God. And today, no matter what they've done, no matter how far they've gone, we're grateful, Lord, that you're turning their life around today. We bless them. 
Listen, I'm going to let you go. Be back at 6 p.m. tonight. They'll continue to pray. May the Lord bless you. May the word be sealed by the Spirit in your heart. And we look forward to seeing you tonight at 6 p.m. Again, don't miss Pastor Donna De Silva. It's going to be powerful, and you want to be in the house tonight. We love you. Go in the blessing of the Lord. Friend, I believe God is a miracle-working God, and the greatest miracle that God could ever work in your life is the gift of salvation. And I believe today somebody is watching me who says, Pastor Kevin, would you pray for me? I want to give my life to God. I want to serve the Lord. I want Jesus to save me. Let's pray this prayer together today. Mean it in your heart. Say, dear God, I repent of my sins. I turn to you today, Lord Jesus, believing that you're the Son of God and that you died for my sins. Forgive me, Lord Jesus. Come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Listen, friend, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to go to kevinwallace.tv, and I just want you to drop us a prayer request and let us know that you gave your heart to Christ. Our team want to pray for you. We want to make sure that you're in a good, loving, Bible-believing church wherever you're from and that you continue to grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. The best days of your life are still ahead of you, and we're praying for you today. God bless. I look forward to seeing you next week right here.